All right, it's time for us to begin. And we've had a little prayer already. I'll just bow my head one more time. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your word. Bring it to life right now in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I have been urged to explain to you how I come to some of the biblical conclusions I do. <laughs> you, have, you have a right to know that, I'm sure. All right, so the first thing you do when you're studying the Bible is pray, right? Now, do you just pray and then study? No, you pray and study, pray, study, pray, study, pray, study. You pray all the way through your study because you're interacting with the Word. Remember, it's God's Word to you. So you're interacting with it. If you don't understand it, you pray about that. If you do understand it, you pray about that. You see? And, and, and if it applies to you, you pray about that. If it applies to somebody else, you ask for God's forgiveness. Because we should never apply the Word to somebody else. We should apply it to ourselves. The Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. Doesn't it? Uh, so we pray throughout our study. Ask the Lord to open the passage to you and apply it to your life, all right? Then respond to it. Praise God for what it tells you about Him. If it convicts you, confess and repent. If it's a promise, then claim the promise for yourself and praise Him for fulfilling it, for fulfilling it in your life. I have found that we need to study the Bible with, with faith. And I, I never could figure out, how do I know if I have faith? I think I believe this. What's faith? How much faith do I need? How can I have, be sure I have enough faith to get the promise? God answers all my prayers now, and I'll tell you why. Because I pray in faith. And I learned how to pray in faith. Can I tell you? This is the most exciting thing. It's so simple. All you do is ask for something you know He wants you to have. Right? If you're praying according with His will, then... Okay, I'm asking you for something I know you want me to have. You love me! So you want me to have anything that's good for me. You do. You love me. So I'm asking you for something that you want me to have because I know you love me. And so... I know you love me, and so I know you're giving this to me, and thank you so much. I don't see it yet, but I absolutely know it's mine. That's faith. It's not by what you think or what you feel. It's by what you say. People say, well, how do I know my words are true? Maybe I'm just a hypocrite. Man, I'm just saying something. You know what? God takes what you say as fact. He expects you to take what he says as fact, and he takes what you say as fact. And if you say, I love you, God, he believes you. By the way, did you know that the more often you say, I love you, God, the more, the more you do love him? We're wired that way. Internal wiring. And so faith, the more I express faith, the more faith I have. And God takes my expression of faith as faith. I know you're going to answer my prayer. I know you've already given me that promise. You love me so much you could never say no to me. Thank you, Jesus. It's beautiful. I usually, I usually get evidence of the answer within moments or hours at the most because God works so quickly. All right. Now, the next thing you do, you, you look at a passage and you, you, you're, you're clueless. I mean, you, you come at it with, a, with an open mind. Please do that, by the way. None, no speaker has said that yet, but this is an absolute necessity. Don't come at this passage, oh yeah, I know that one. I can guarantee you, I don't care if you've been studying that passage every day of your life since you were born, there's still more in that passage you don't understand yet. I find that everywhere in God's Word. So, so come at it with an open mind and ask yourself again. Now, who is speaking in this passage? Who's the speaker? Is it the person who wrote the words? Or it could be that he's just quoting God, huh? Or it could be that it's a character in the story that he's telling who's speaking the words. So just because Ezra wrote it doesn't mean Ezra is speaking, right? So you might have to look up a little context and you discover who's speaking. Then you ask yourself, what kind of speech is this? Is it a story? How much of the Bible is stories? Quite a lot, huh? So is this a story? 
Or is it teaching a principle? By the way, even the stories do that, but it could just be a, you know, a teaching passage. There are teaching passages in the Bible. Many, many of them. Is, is the speaker passing on the words of God? Is he actually just quoting God? Gus says the Lord, da, da, da. Is the speaker praying? You know, many of the, of the passages in Scripture are actually prayers. Isn't that right? And so you want to know if he's praying. If this is a story, do any of the characters represent my viewpoint? Be honest. I started putting myself into all the characters just to try on the fit, you know? Okay, I'm going to be the Pharisee this time. Let's see now. Do I have any of those kind of feelings? You know what? I, I have had some of those kind of feelings. I, especially that Pharisee's prayer. You know, Lord, I thank you so much that I'm not as other men and blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, how many times I prayed that way? Thinking I was praising God. I wasn't praising God. I was being a hypocrite. Oh, I thank you, Lord, so much that I never got into drug habit when I was a kid. And, oh, I'm so thankful that I've never been tempted to murder anybody, you know, which was a lie anyway. And, and you know, don't thank the Lord for your righteousness. Thank the Lord for his righteousness. Oh, that poor Pharisee. Anyway, getting on. To whom is the person, the, the, the person who's speaking, once you decide who's speaking, uh, then you have to say, who is he speaking to? Uh, you particularly want to know, is he speaking to me, right? Because you want to know, is there any way this passage can be taken directly to me? Well, you have to decide if you are included in the addressee. Now, yes, you are if, what? It is addressed to people of your type. What is your type? Well, if it is addressed to believers and you are a believer, then it's addressed to you. If it's addressed to backsliders and you're a backslider, then it's addressed to you, see? If it's addressed to the proud or lustful or worldly or lonely or tired or weak and you fit any of those categories, then it's addressed to you. Do you see that? So, how, much, how frequently is it addressed to you? Much of the time, but not all the time. I used to believe that you could, the best way to know what God wanted to say to you any given day was just to let the Bible fall open, you know, so the Lord could direct you to the passage that he wanted you to read. It just so happened that right in the middle of my Bible, you know, is Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so I was always reading these passages, you know, these horrible curses upon the Midianites and the Moabites and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and all those. Oh, God, I know I'm a wretch. I already knew I was a wretch. I'm sure I needed that flogging again today. Lord. Oh, I don't, you, know. you know what? Those passages do not apply to you. They apply to pagan unbelievers who hate God. That's not you. They don't apply to you. They're great prophecies, and they took place, and they build our faith because we see how they happen. But God is not talking to you in those passages. Don't even let the devil lead you there. You wouldn't even be opening the Bible seeking God's will in your life if you were one of those people. So many people have been led down a hall to depression through those passages. Do not study the Bible that way. Find yourself there by the type that you are. Now, don't be dishonest, you know. Be willing to be humble and say, well, maybe I am that unbelieving, you know, whatever person there. But please do not take all those curses to you. They were not meant for you. They are meant for those who absolutely reject God's grace. Content. Next, you look for content. Is anything revealed about God the Father or the Godhead? You really want to know that, don't you? Because in the Bible, one of the biggest things we're looking for is God's character is anything revealed about Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah, we love to see that. What does this tell me about Jesus? I love to write. When I'm, when I'm uh, studying, I write. In fact, now, since I do most of my study on the computer, I actually interpolate my answers to these questions in between the verses. You know what I mean? I, I copy and paste onto a word processing, processing page a bunch of scriptures that I want to study. Then I interpolate my responses to those words and what I'm discovering, what I'm learning, what I'm understanding. And, uh, do, do you understand what I'm saying? 
Does anybody else do that? So I make this private document. And in there, I put my prayers as well. I say, oh, God, that does apply to me. And, I, you know, and this and this. And I get quite, quite often, often a, something sometimes and a big repentance and all kinds of stuff. And then I come back eventually to the verse. And so uh, naturally, I encrypt all those files. <clears throat> Is anything revealed about how to be free from sin or how to love God? Ooh, we want to know those things, don't we? So I'm always looking to find those answers. Is the speaker speaking objectively or emotionally? Are there passages in the scripture where the speaker is really not trying to be real accurate? He's just pouring out his feelings? There actually are passages like that, yeah. Now, that doesn't mean those passages don't have any value, but you have to get into the speaker's emotions before you can really make it comprehensible to yourself. So if the speaker's in love and passionate, you know, like the whole uh, Song of Solomon, uh, you've got to understand the emotion behind the words before you can make any sense out of the words. Is the, is the speaker depressed like, like Solomon in the, uh, in the um, um, Ecclesiastes? Uh, is the speaker, you know, many of the Psalms come from a position of a depressed person. Is the speaker angry? In other words, if you can understand the speaker's uh, emotions and if the speaker is speaking emotionally, you'll know uh, whether or not to take that as absolute objective fact. Uh, some of the psalms uh, are really strange. Have you noticed that? <laughs> is the speaker representing God or the devil? Are there actually Bible authors or speakers in the Bible that represent the devil? None of the authors would, but are there speakers in the Bible that represent the devil? Oh, yes, quite a few, quite a few. Job's comforters, yeah. The devil himself is quoted repeatedly in the Bible. Um, and many evil people like Rabshakeh who came and told the Jews they might as well even stop praying to their God because he wasn't going to help them anyway, and on and on and on. You know, there are many people in the Bible who, who, who are the dark uh, characters, uh, the opposers of the truth, and they're quoted in the New Testament and the Old. So you have to, that's why it's so important to figure out who the speaker is. Because just because the author, this is, Paul wrote this, that doesn't mean Paul's the speaker in that passage. Paul may be quoting some other speaker. You see, so you've got to find out who is actually <laughs> talking to know what weight to put on what's being said. Does that make sense? All right. Then you ask yourself, is this a parable or is it a metaphor or an apocalyptic prophecy with hidden meanings beneath the literal meanings? Are there a lot of parables and metaphors in the Bible? Oh, there are a lot of parables and metaphors in the Bible. The Bible says God's people are like a palm tree. I've yet to see anybody that look like a palm tree. Therefore, God doesn't have any people, right? No. No, yeah, then you have to ask yourself, okay, how can I comprehend this verse? God's people are like a palm tree. There's only one way to comprehend that verse. You've got to do some botanical study and figure out what palm trees are like. Once you figure out what palm trees are like, how they grow, what makes them thrive, what they like by way of food, how tall they get, etc., 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 what kind of fruit they produce, then you can say, oh, that's what God thinks his people are. Wow. Maybe I should be more palm tree-like. Yeah, so there's, there's tons of stuff in the Bible about that. If so, determine the meaning of the symbols by comparing with other passages that also use those terms metaphorically and then test them in the passage you desire to interpret. If this is a story that you're reading, do any of the characters represent my viewpoint? We already asked that question, didn't we? All right, now let's go into a scripture which we love. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. This is a marvelous passage. Maybe one of the best in the whole Bible, but there's so many best ones, it's hard to say. First of all, let me ask you who's talking in Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. No. 
You cannot find that anywhere except on my computer. However, I'll be happy to give you my PowerPoints if any of you have the capacity for receiving them. <laughs> okay. This wonderful scripture, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Who's talking? Paul is talking. You happen to know that Paul is the author of Ephesians, right? What kind of speaking is this? Is it a story? Is it a principle? Oh, somebody looked at the context. It's a prayer. Paul is praying. Okay, who's, who, who's he praying for then? That Christ may dwell in your hearts. What kind of people were the Ephesians? They were Gentiles. Any Gentiles here? They were church-going Christians, right? Any church-going Christians here? Hey, do you think this prayer applies to us then? <laughs> See how easy that was? We're interpreting Scripture by using these wonderful principles. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is his prayer. Who, what? That what's going to happen? What's he asking that, 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 that God will do for us? That Christ may dwell in our hearts. What is your heart in the Bible? Anybody know? Did you ever do the heart study? By the way, this is so fantastic. I love this way of studying. Get a computer. I don't care. Get, if you can't afford a regular computer, get one of those little $300 mini laptop things and load onto it the Bible study programs. Folks, there's no excuse anymore for not doing this. It's only a little bit more expensive than a handheld Bible, and it'll get you into God's Word deeper than you can imagine. Because then you can go and you can look up heart. And you can see what the Bible really means about heart instead of thinking you already know. And you can look up the 400 verses on heart. By the way, they'll all pop up in front of you on your screen. And then you can read them. You can see what the heart is, what it does. It's the center of your feelings. It's also, though, the center of your social interaction. It's the center of your connection with God because God actually connects with us more through our hearts than through our heads, believe it or not. You'll find all this if you study that. It's fabulous. So Christ wants to dwell in our hearts. And Paul is pleading that that will happen to us. You know, what would happen if Christ was living in your heart? You would be indomitably happy. Satan couldn't tempt you with anything. Everybody would like you except the people who really didn't like Jesus. Because you'd be so much like him, which is quite a few people. You'd be surprised, though, how many people. They see, when you have Jesus in you, it's just astonishing. You go into a grocery store and people look up and go, they do. They can see it. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Look at this. If Christ dwells in your heart, then you're going to be what? Rooted and grounded in what? Truth. There's nothing wrong with truth. Truth is great. But rooted, there's something even better than truth, isn't there? What is it? Love. That you being rooted and grounded. See, because God is what? God is love. And if you're rooted and grounded in love, then all the nature, the, 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 the tendencies of God are yours. You see that? And also love makes you rooted. I mean, love actually makes you so committed that nothing can shake you. Love is the root that made Jesus go to the cross, that made Jesus accept the sins of the world when he didn't want to at all. Love is that most powerful force, more powerful than sin ever thought of being. Do you see that? It was love that gave Jesus the victory every time he was tempted. It was love in the wilderness of temptation. It was love, love. If we're rooted and grounded in love, folks, we got it made. No wonder the Apostle Paul is praying for this, huh? He's praying that this would happen to us. Rooted and grounded in love. To know the love of Christ. That is to know it in an intimate sense. To experience it. Which passes knowledge. I love this. He's telling us here that we can know something that's unknowable. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now how on earth can you know something that passes knowledge? Passes knowledge means it's not knowable, right? I actually looked it up in the Greek. And it actually does. It's a perfectly good translation. To know the unknowable is a perfectly good translation. Now how on earth can we know the unknowable? 
Absolutely. Because our heart can know things our head cannot know. He's telling us, I want you to have an emotional experience with God. Now, is that sufficient? Is that all we need? There are people who think they have an emotional experience with God. They're actually having an emotional experience with Satan. So we also must have a firm foundation of objective truth. Isn't that right? That's why there's so much of that in the Bible. But once we're on that foundation, come on, anybody who's been an Adventist for a couple of years is on a pretty strong foundation of objective truth. Then what? We want to live by love. We want to know the unknowable. Every day needs to be a day of deep emotional satisfaction. Do you think God really made us emotional creatures so that we could deny our emotions and live as robots? Do you really think so? By the way, how on earth would anybody even want to be a Christian if we had to deny our emotions? There's no enjoyment in it. Where is joy anyway? Joy is an emotion. There's no pleasure in it. Where is pleasure anyway? Pleasure is an emotion. There, there is nothing worth living for if there's no improvement to the emotions in Christianity. Ah, but there is. There is. The emotions are healed in Christianity. What does Jesus say as the very first purpose for his coming to minister to us in Luke chapter 4? I've been anointed huh? to heal the brokenhearted. That's right. To heal the broken heart. Our emotions are all messed up, isn't that right? In fact, most of our sin problem is because of our emotional mess. We do most of the things we do, the self-destructive, the hurtful things, the angry, hateful things, because of our messed up emotions. If our emotions were healed, we would virtually be home free. And that's exactly what Jesus proposes to do. And what heals our emotions? Love, 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 love. I've been practicing this on some young people lately. There are some teenagers who are acting out, you know what I mean? Just acting obnoxious, acting horrible. And so uh, my premise is that their emotions are messed up and they're not feeling loved. And so they act worse in order to deserve the way people think about them. And so I have decided not to believe anything about about them and to tell them so. You know what? You are a fantastic person. God has super plans for you. You can really do anything you want to with your life. You are such a great person. You have, a, you have intelligence. You have imagination. That's obvious. Uh, you, have <laughs> <laughs> uh, you even have dedication. And, and, and you have many skills and gifts that God is, is planning to use in a wonderful way. And they look at me like, nobody's ever told me anything but that I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm a mess up. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And I wish I wasn't around. And here you're saying. And not only that, I put my arm around their shoulder and I say, I really like you. You are fun to be around. And what am I doing? I'm just saying what, I'm just saying what, no. I'm telling the truth. Because with Jesus in you, you feel like Jesus does about people. How many people does Jesus like? Everybody. And, and I, yes, he likes everybody. He doesn't just love people. He likes them. And, 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 I, and I found that as Jesus is in me more and more, I, I actually like people that I couldn't stand before. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and if there is somebody I still don't like, I just say, Jesus, right now, by the way, listen to this prayer because you can do this anytime. It works wonderfully. At this very moment, I choose to allow you to replace my feelings for this person with yours. And he does so immediately. No gap. Immediately. Now, I can get my old feelings back anytime I want them, but who'd want them, you know? I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Would you like to have much fruit? 
Would you like to be a person whose life is just fruitful everywhere you go? Good results are happening. Life is springing up. People are being improved. Your, your life is even more efficient. You know, in Jesus, I found that your life is even more efficient. You're going to get more accomplished in, in less time. It's astonishing. It's a miracle. It's totally a miracle. I don't feel any more efficient. I don't think I think any more clearly than before. But it's just like God is arranging everything and putting it in its right place. And I'm saying, I'm saying, Lord, I've only got one hour. I need to get all this done. And I think I really do need to get all this done. I'm not just being a Martha. I think I really do need to get all this done in one hour. And that's obviously not enough time unless you just arrange everything just right. And you know what? Do, 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 do. He arranges everything just right. And I get it all done in an hour. I am the vine, you are the branches. He, that's impossible. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. <laughs> if you abide in me, you shall ask whatever you want, and it will be done unto you. You know why he can make such a sweeping promise? Because when we abide in him, whatever we want is what he wants. Amen. So, we ask whatever we want, and he does it. It is just too fabulous. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. You might notice, by the way, that all these promises come from John chapter 15. Remember, John is the guy that Jesus loved. He knew more about Jesus' love than anybody else. He wrote the last gospel because God wanted him to give the final, rep uh, the final revelation of Jesus' character. And John 15, the, the content of John 15 is not included in any of the other gospels. And I'm so glad John lived to be 100 years old so he could write it down because... We need John chapter 15. In fact, we need 14, 15, and 16. Oh, my goodness. In fact, we need 13 through 17. You know, that whole Jesus' final dialogue with his disciples, from the foot washing on to what they overheard of his prayer before his crucifixion, no, that's not included in any of the other Gospels. And, oh, man, is that rich material. Oh, it's probably the richest material in the whole Bible. I encourage you to read the whole chapter of John 15, that you might, your joy might be full. See, I honestly believe, because of this verse, that it's Jesus' intention that Christians not just be peaceful, not just relatively contented, not just be people who are calm, that he actually wants people to be joyful. You know what joy is? It is an irrepressible emotion of gratification. And it comes out. You can't help it. It just comes out. People ask you how you are. You can't say fine anymore. You say, whoa, I am so happy. They look at you like, oh, what, what? what's he on? Give me some of that. You know? But, but it's true. It's just the truth. You're so happy. You, you, you're even surprised by your own answer. You know, I really am that happy, you know? Wow. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Here's another great, great result of being in love with Jesus is you obey him. You just want to. It's not something you feel like you have to do. You just want to. And my father will love him too. And we will come to him and we'll make our home with him. Do you really want Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Are you sure there's that much room inside of you? Man, that's a crowd, you know. This evening, I'm going to share something so precious about this, but I will wait for this evening since this crazy guy is timing every month. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. How many men? Anybody! Isn't that awesome? I can go to the prisoner who's in jail because he's done this and this and this horrible thing, and I can say, you know, Jesus will come inside of you right now if you want him to. A lot of times they can hardly imagine. Oh, I'm way too wicked. Why I can't get anywhere close to Jesus. I'm under a curse. No, he loves you. Jesus has taken all the curse for you. What? For all the promises of God in him. Now, I love these in him statements. You've noticed in the syllabus I included a whole page of in hymns. I take all these literally. 
By the way, in him is the same as in me. Just take them both for crossovers of the same thing. I've discovered that. I can't find any real difference. If I'm in him, then he's in me. And if he's in me, then I'm in him. Okay? Those seem to be interchangeable terms. So when you see this in him passage, just look at this. In him, all the promises of God are yes. So when I'm in him, every promise of God is mine. And boy, I, you better believe I claim those. And every promise is amen, which is what? Let it be. God himself is amening it. Under the glory of God, by us. And where is God glorifying himself? By us. Because when we're in him, he gets a lot of glory out of us. Isn't that neat? In whom are hidden all the treasures. In whom, who's the whom here? Anybody have any idea? Who wrote this, by the way? Paul wrote this, right? Colossians. All right. And he's giving us here a little sermon. And he's telling us about what's the advantage of having Jesus inside of you. And he's saying, in whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and you are complete when you are in him. <laughs> so how much is in him? Everything. Everything you need. Everything you want. Everything you think you're going after when you go in all the wrong directions to find it, it's all in Him. If you're in Him, you've got it all. Can you really believe that? People who believe that cannot be lost. Not a chance in the world. Believing that, you will receive it. Real Christianity is Jesus living in us. How many of you believe that? That's the real thing, see? But you know, preparation for the end times is about abiding in Christ. Did you know that? Preparation for the judgment of the living is abiding in Christ. Preparation for the sealing of the 144,000 is abiding in Christ. This is the answer. I feel like the guy who found the treasure hidden in a field. Because I'd give up anything for this. This is it, folks. When we understand about letting Jesus live in us, we have found the way to make it. Now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear. When what? By the way, who's talking here? John is talking, right? He's sermonizing us. And he's talking to us as little children. Are you a little child? Abide in him. That means live in him. Let him live in you. That when he shall appear, that's the second coming, right? We may have confidence. Has anybody ever been a little bit worried about the second coming? He says that we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So what is the way to be ready for the second coming? Abide in him. That's it. I told you that John was the book for the 144,000. 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, is the book for the 144,000. You've got to understand that if you want to be among the 144,000. Oh, God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. This is the way I feel every morning. I, this morning was no exception. I woke up out of a deep sleep. Just, boop. My very first thought was, where am I? <laughs> my second thought was, God, I need you so bad. I don't know why. I don't know if it's true for everybody, but I think it might be. God gives me a strong sense of my emptiness until I specifically ask him to fill me. A strong sense of my lostness and my deadness. I used to not be aware of that. It was just normal. You wake up every day that way, you know, and go get a cup of coffee. I didn't realize that I was, that there's another solution to that emptiness and deadness that you feel first thing in the morning. It's Jesus in you. 
Just have Jesus in you. He's ready to come in any time. Do you hear me knocking? Do you know that every time you're feeling any dissatisfaction or whatever, or worry, or fear, or concern, or anything, that's Jesus knocking. I'll come in, you know, I'll take care of that. I'll come right in. All right. Got to hasten on here. So, a changed devotional and prayer life is essential then, isn't it, for these last days? Uh, we've had a devotional life for a long time, but it was obviously very inadequate because it didn't make us that happy. I, it certainly didn't give us victory. I've learned that Jesus is exactly what I need and that he's all I need. All right. That's the, that's the first premise. Jesus is exactly what I need and he's all I need. All right. I've learned to make experiencing God's love my first work every day. Now, at first I couldn't figure out how to, how to experience God's love. I started trying to find passages in the Bible where I could get into God's feelings and I could discover his love. And that was great. And I found so many of them have pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of them in my computer. But I don't have to do that anymore. Because now I've got all those in my head. Not memorized, but you know, they're all there. And, and I know that he loves me. So now I get into his love simply by saying, Jesus, you're here, aren't you? And you know, the more I say it, the more he is. And you're, in, and, and, and you're loving me, aren't you? And the more I say it, the more he is. And, and you have already willed for me to have a successful and a happy day today, haven't you? Yes, because you love me. And you want to spend all day long with me, don't you? And you're interested in every single thing that I'm going to encounter today. And you already have it in mind. And you already know how you're going to help me through it. Because you love me so much. And so I just go on talking about how much he loves me. Five minutes, you know. Jesus, I can see how much you love me. Look at this beautiful woman lying next to me here. I can see how much you love me. Look at this comfortable home. I can see how much you love me. My breakfast will be on time this morning. You know? Oh, it's a million ways he loves us. I have health. But, but, but even if I didn't, I can see it. I, I went through a horrible tragedy a year and a half ago. My grandson drowned. And through that, I could see the love of God. Every day. I wept. You can't get through grieving. You know, you still grieve. But it wasn't, it wasn't, that, it wasn't that sorrow of the ungodly. It was, is it possible to be joyful and sorrowful at the same time? It is. I know it is because I've experienced it. And, and, and so, I, I, Jesus, you love me so much. And even this great tragedy is part of your love for me because I now realize that everything that comes into my life is part of your love for me. Do you believe that? Folks, if you believe that, I don't believe that. If you believe that, everything changes. Your whole life changes. That flat tire is part of his love for you. Having to take the car to the shop is part of his love for you. The fact that your clothes are wearing out is part of his love for you. The fact that you don't know how you're going to pay this month's bills is part of his love for you. You cannot believe, folks. It is fantastic. And when you say that and you believe it, all fear, all worry, all anxiety goes away. You have perfect peace. You even have joy. And, and guess what? He also works everything out. It's just awesome. You know why he lets that stuff happen to people he loves, don't you? To see if you'll believe that he loves you. And to see if you'll hang on to his love even more tightly. See, so many people do the opposite, don't they? Ah, I knew you didn't love me. Pfft, you know, I'm not going to trust you again. How sad. I don't need Jesus' help. People get astonished when I say that because, of course, it's not entirely true. I desperately need his help. But when I used to say, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, there was an implication of a false theology in that. The false theology was this. I can do part of it. I just need your help. You see the false theology in that? A lot of times I put please on the front of it, which is really a false theology, as if he didn't want to help me. I have to beg him. Ha, of course he wants to help me. He loves me. Come on, he gave his life for me. Me. He would have given his life if I was the only one that needed it. 
That's how much, it's personal, folks. This is personal. I know he died for the world, but he died for me personally. That's how important I am to him. I'm that important to him. I just can't even imagine it still. I know it's true. I still have the hardest time imagining it. I'm that important to him. Wow. His life for mine, his life is worth, in, oh, there's no calculation for what his life is worth more than mine. He values me that much. It's just unthinkable. No, I don't need Jesus' help. I don't even say that anymore. Jesus, please help me with this. Help me with that. I've really weeded that prayer out. I just say, Jesus, I need you. Is that what I need? I need you. I need you to take over. I need you to replace my feelings and my thoughts. I need you to re- just, I, I need you to replace my brain. Lord, I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to do this, do this. Please help me. No, don't help me. Just give me your brain. I can't figure this out. It's going to take me forever if I figure this out. And you, you just can't imagine how much more efficient my life is because of that. Things that used to take me five hours, I can do in half an hour now. It's astonishing. It's Jesus, it's not me doing it. Like Paul said, the life I now live is not really me at all. It's really Christ living in me. Didn't he say that? So beautiful. Pray, pr- praying, please help me, implies two lies. That he might not, and that you can do it with his help. And of course you can't. <laughs> Begin the day by opening yourself fully to his love, to his life. Say, Jesus live in me. Jesus love in me. Jesus love through me. My prayer, of course, this morning as it's become every morning, was, Lord, I'm going to meet a lot of people today who need to know this. <laughs> so live it through me. Live yourself through me. I so much want them to learn this from you, not from me. This has to be a spirit thing. It has to be a divine thing. Look for him in his word until you have experienced his love. Joy is the evidence. What's the evidence? Joy is the evidence. When you've actually experienced his love, joy comes. Thank him all day for his love. Thank him all day. That's how you keep it. See, I used to think, how do you abide in Christ? I can, I can get into him, but then how do I stay in him? Right? Because I can't just be sitting in my you know, nice little corner for prayer. And, and I actually built a, a second-story loft so I would have a place to pray that no one could bother me. It's so nice. Anyway, but I can't stay there all day, right? So what, what, what can I do? Here's what I can do. I can... Tell him all day how thankful I am for his love. I can thank him all day for the blessings that come along, because they do come along all the time. I can tell him all day that I love him, and the only reason I love him is because he loved me first. And you know what? It's so astonishing as I do that, and as I rejoice in his love all day long. Boy, the devil still tries, but it is hard for him to make me interested in anything he has. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just praising the Lord. I'm happy in the Lord. Mm. Wow. Thank Him all day for His love. And if you ever get away from it, this is so beautiful. There's no condemnation in Christ, you know. It's fantastic. If you ever get away from it and, and you do stray, I tell you what, when you've been abiding in Christ, it's so different than you, when you weren't. Okay, you've been abiding in Christ, and all of a sudden you've taken your eyes off the Lord, and you're not abiding, and you get away, and some of your joy goes, and so, you know, you lose some of your victory, whatever. Immediately, as soon as you're aware of it, you say, oh, Jesus, I am so sorry I let go of you, didn't I? See, it's a whole different focus. Instead of, I'm sorry I did that, or I'm sorry I said that, you, you, you know, you'll confess that too. But the whole point is, what, I, what did I really lose? It wasn't the behavior. I lost the connection! You know, we're always talking about treating the symptoms. We need to, the, we need to treat the, the actual cause. The cause of anything you do wrong is that you lost your joy, you lost your emotional satisfaction, you lost the connection with the love of Jesus. That's the cause of every sin. And so, I, I lost you, Lord. Can, can I have you back? I heard a preacher once say it could take us up to two whole days to get Jesus back. That is such a lie. 
You can have Jesus back anytime you want. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is never more than the thickness of a door out of your heart. Let him in again. Do you want him in? He'll come in. He'll come in. I don't care what you just did. He'll come in. He'll give you joy and peace again. And he will help you with the next half hour of your life. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, folks, we can grow in this, can't we? We can grow in this. And we are. It's so beautiful. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. There's no substitute for the morning. Don't let anything cheat you out of giving the Lord the first hour. If you say, but my day starts too early. I have to be up at 5.30 and I have to go here and I have to go there and I have to take the kids there and I have to meet that appointment. All right, then get up at 4.30. You get up at 3.30. It doesn't matter. Give the Lord the first hour. I'm telling you, there's no substitute. I've had so many people tell me, I'm going to do that in the evening. Why on earth would you want to spend the whole day away from Jesus and then sleep with him? You need to have him with you during the part of your day when you're interacting with people, right? Yeah. You must start the day with him. Oh, well, I'll just, I'll just tell him, you know, I'll just, as I'm having my breakfast, I'll just say, Lord, I really need you in my life. No, 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 no. No, no. You've got to make yourself emotionally available to him. You've got to give time for him to actually come into your life. This is a beautiful, isn't this a beautiful verse? Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. And then he goes ahead and says, I trust you, God. I am putting my whole confidence in you. You're going to take care of me all day long. Isn't that beautiful? That's my prayer every morning. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with thy loving kindness, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I just put all day long in there instead of all our days. But isn't, isn't that fantastic? If he really satisfies us with his loving kindness, then what else do we need? Right? Right? The devil may think he can tempt you with this, this, or this, or this, but he can't if you're satisfied, right? If you're satisfied with his loving kindness, then there's nothing else the devil got for you. Satisfy me with your loving kindness, Lord, in the morning. Let me at least start out satisfied. If I get distracted later, well, drag me back. But at least let me start out satisfied. I have found out that if I start out with Jesus' loving kindness in the morning, that the Holy Spirit is with me all day. And he's much more, I can hear him much better. And so he warns me when I'm starting to get away from Jesus. He warns me, he says, you know what? You're starting to lose your, your joy and your peace, your connection with the Lord. Oh, that's right. And so I immediately say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for wanting to live in me. Come in now with all your fullness. Just flood out everything that's not part of you. It's amazing. I say it right out loud, you know, especially when I'm in my car. As long as I'm wearing my Bluetooth, nobody looks at me too funny. <laughs> Come unto me, Jesus says. This is unequivocal, folks. This is unequivocal. doesn't matter who you are or where you're just coming from. You're just coming from a crime? Come to me. You're just coming from some very embarrassing slip from God's plan for your life? Come to me. You're coming from some horrible social encounter in which you were beat down to the ground and, and made to feel like worthless garbage? Come to me. Wherever you're coming from. You just failed a test at school? Come to me. Come to me. <laughs> and I will. My promise is unequivocal. I will give you rest. I will. Isn't that great? That's Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. But Jesus does it every time. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we are finding that as we abide in Christ, He abides in us, His word abides in us, His wonderful promises abide in us, our hope and trust in Him grows and grows. We're finding that we actually have hope and confidence that we can be ready to meet Jesus. We might even be part of the 144,000, Lord. What a fantastic thought. Please give us that faith by giving us that connection. In Jesus Christ, we are praying. We believe we have the answer because you would never say no to those you love. Amen.